This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the SummerSlam 2019 preview here on the Evan Roberts Podcast. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through all the matches. We'll go through the storylines. I'll give you my predictions and thoughts on how the hell we got here to SummerSlam 2019. First things first, because I think this is very, very important. There is one must coming out of SummerSlam 2019. One thing that has to happen. Now, I have opinions on all of these matches, but there's one opinion that rises above the rest, and that is the fact that Seth Rollins must, I repeat, must recapture the Universal Championship. If you go back to Money in the Bank and you listen to the Instant Reaction podcast, my thought at the time is the same. A lot of my thoughts change in wrestling. Why not? You know, the storylines evolve. You start to think about things. You start to like things you didn't really like. You start to hate things that you did like. But one thing I am constant on or consistent on is if you wanted to give Brock the championship, which they did, and you want to bring back that Brock Lesnar machine that we've seen over the last few weeks, this cannot be long-term. This needs to be short-term. And this needs to be all about putting Seth Rollins over in an even bigger way than you did at WrestleMania. So I think we'd all agree this is the main event of the night. I don't think there's any question on what match goes on last. I mean, it's Brock Lesnar. Well, one thing about Brock Lesnar is that he made events every single SummerSlam. And I think we documented that when we did the SummerSlam retrospective, which you can go back and listen to in the archives if you don't like the current product and you're like, oh, but I like old wrestling uh, me and my co-host for that episode, Dennis, Dennis has a podcast, he has his own podcast, and he joins me to do retrospectives. We went through every main event in the history of SummerSlam, and you notice that over the last half a decade, it's basically been Brock Lesnar central, that he has been Mr. Main Event at SummerSlam. So when you look at this card, I don't think there's any doubt that's the main event. And to me, there should be no doubt on who wins that match and who leaves the show as the Universal Championship. Overall, overall, I would say this appears to be a very average card they've put together. One thing that means a lot to me, and clearly I've got to get over it because it doesn't happen in 2019, is the slow build. And I think that's the, the thing that jumps out at me most about this pay-per-view. We really haven't had it. You know, a lot of this feels shotgunned. A lot of this feels, huh, what should we do for SummerSlam? Okay, let's write this three or four weeks out. And in some cases, the storyline really didn't evolve until a week before the event. I'm recording this on Wednesday, the day after SmackDown, two days after Raw. And the reason I felt it was important to record it after Raw and SmackDown is there was still some uncertainty on what this card would look like. Now, usually, I think in the past, you could do a preview for a pay-per-view maybe two or three weeks out because you kind of know the card and you feel as if, all right, this is the event. Sure, there's going to be storylines to advance those matches, but nothing extreme is going to change. A lot of things have either just been thrown together or have changed over the last two weeks. And the two things that jump out at me with that, 
the Goldberg thing with Dolph Ziggler. They did drop hints for the last few weeks, but even with those hints, I never really thought Goldberg was going to fight Dolph Ziggler. I got to be honest with you. And the other thing is the whole Roman Reigns situation. And I warn you, because I'm recording this on Wednesday, even though there's no other you know, WWE programming before SummerSlam, I fully expect that the Twitter account of the WWE is going to announce something involving Roman Reigns and a match at SummerSlam. And again, they give you this storyline, and let's start there. Let's start with the in-depth look at the Roman Reigns storyline. We know, all right, they're keeping Roman out of the title picture, which they have done a very good job of doing since he's returned. Uh, the fans have not completely turned on him yet, but you can sense that fans want to boo Roman Reigns. We're very happy for Roman Reigns, the human being. He's healthy, but I think the natural reaction is to boo the man. That's just the way it is. And I think that we as fans now love when the WWE tells us this guy's a face, you must cheer him, and we love him, and we're going to force him down your throat, and we love booing him, and then splitting arenas with Let's go, Roman. Roman sucks. He's the new John Cena. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. That's fine. I think we are now at the moment with Reigns where when he gets booed and people say he sucks, it's a different tone than what it was four years ago. I think four years ago it was, you suck, get out of my ring. Now it's, ah, let's have some fun, you suck. But clearly, the only thing he had going for him going into SummerSlam was this shotgun feud with Samoa Joe. And I think it seemed obvious that, okay, that's where they're going. They're going to give you Roman Reigns against Samoa Joe. We've seen it before, but here are two good performers. They really don't have an angle. Let's stick them together and go from there. They even had the Samoa Summit, <laughs> which was really stupid. And then they give you an angle straight out of the Attitude Era. And we've noticed a few patterns of the Attitude Era over the last few months, really, since Paul Heyman took over Raw. And that was... We're going to drop the scaffold on Roman Reigns, which I admit came out of nowhere because the way they were building it up on SmackDown was Roman's going to announce his opponent. And I think we all figured, okay, it's Samoa Joe. All right, whatever. Not a match to be excited about, but you're at least giving him something to do at SummerSlam as you keep him away from the title picture. Scaffold falls. You're thinking it's Joe, but it's too obvious. You start reading the dirt sheets. Is that what they call the internet? The dirt sheets? I don't know. I've, I've heard uh, Conrad Thompson and Bruce Pritchard refer to things as dirt sheets. And I've heard that comment for like 10 years, but I actually don't even really know what a dirt sheet is. I guess it's the internet. But either way, the rumor is that, okay, Daniel Bryan is behind it. And it would make sense because Daniel Bryan's going nowhere. He teased this whole career-altering announcement that he never gave us. And so, okay, Daniel Bryan dropped the scaffold on Roman Reigns, which normally... I wouldn't say is the worst thing. The problem is they dropped the scaffold on the second to last SmackDown before SummerSlam. So you've got no chance to build this thing, no matter where you're going with it, no matter how dumb you may think it is or how brilliant you may think it is, you have no time to let it evolve. So they continue the angle on Raw. They make it clear it's not Samoa Joe. Now someone's attacking him with a car. And we go into SmackDown on Tuesday still not knowing what the hell's going on. And I thought the reveal where you've got Roman Reigns attacking what his name? What's his name? The Australian dude. Buddy. (laughs) The former cruiserweight. In the locker room. Felt very random. He's going after this schmuck to find out who attacked him? 
and he reveals it's Rowan. It was Rowan, and we get SmackDown ending with Rowan and Daniel Bryan standing in the ring. We have absolutely no closure on this. The angle does what at SummerSlam? You're going to give me a match? You're going to give me Roman Reigns against Eric Rowan? And so I kind of have a problem that here we are four days, at least when I'm recording this, four days before SummerSlam, and there is no closure on what the hell they're going to do with Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan and Rowan. And Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns would be a fine feud. It would be. I mean, we got that a few years ago when they tried to get Roman over before WrestleMania. They had their match at that pay-per-view. I think it was the first fast lane. And Daniel Bryan did everything to try to get Roman Reigns over. And Daniel Bryan is an excellent heel. I think he's played the role really well. It sucks that they don't have anything for him right now. So I don't have an issue with a Daniel Bryan-Roman Reigns program. And that's probably what we're going to end up getting. But could you shock on this thing anymore? You can't, and I felt they did this with Cena Undertaker at WrestleMania a few years ago where I don't even know if we consider it a match. The build to it was just so awkward. And that's my problem. You've got stars. You've got legitimate main eventers in Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan and even Samoa Joe, who I guess is somehow still involved in this, and you leave them with basically nothing going into SummerSlam. And, and maybe the thinking is, they don't need to sell you on a pay-per-view the way they used to because it's on the WWE Network. And I, I keep thinking back to those old SummerSlam reports with Todd Pettengill. You know, he'd come on on Raw in his studio and we'll go through the entire card, selling you hard on buying the pay-per-view. And I, I, get, I get you don't have to do that anymore. It's, not, it's a completely different era. But still, I mean, you want people excited for the event. And I think the best way to get people excited for the event is to have them emotionally invested in matches. Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan are big stars. If they're going to fight, let us know about it three or four weeks out. It, it does feel, and this is a compliment in a way, that the product is very different right now. It, it was stale for a very long time, and it feels as if there is a difference with a Bischoff-Heyman-produced Raw and SmackDown. And I don't know how hands-on Bischoff is. I get it. But... With the scaffold falling, with, you know, trying to be hit by a car. And I'm not saying it's great stuff, but it does remind me of stuff we saw 20 years ago. Whether it was The Rock being run over by Hulk Hogan. Remember that? In their build-up to their excellent match at WrestleMania 18. The whodunit with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Instead of Austin leaving for a year with an injury, they have him run over by a car. At first it was Rikishi. I did it for you, Rock. Then it was Triple H was behind it. <laughs> I mean, they, they used to do that crap all the time. So they are starting to bring that back. And they brought back the violence, too. So I don't know what the hell they're doing with Roman and Rowan and Brian. But whatever you're doing, you got to give me more of a buildup. Now, let me go through some of these matches. Uh, Trish Stratus is going to take on Charlotte Flair. I want to be very nice about this. But I want to be real about this. I have nothing against Trish Stratus. I have respect for Trish Stratus. She had a very nice career in the WWE. But Trish Stratus, when she first came to the product during the Attitude Era, was a valet. Okay, She was a part of a tag team that, if I'm not mistaken, was called TNA. Right? Wasn't it Test and Albert? And there's Trish Stratus. And we all understand what they were trying to do. And then Trish Stratus was having an affair with Vince McMahon. 
And Vince McMahon made her bark like a dog, all sorts of weird stuff. And then after that, Trish became a wrestler. And I got to tell you, she wasn't a very good wrestler. She was okay. But I give her credit because she transitioned from being really the poster girl of the Attitude Era, because that's what they did back then, where it was nothing about the women other than their assets, to becoming a wrestler. And she won the Women's Championship, and you almost forgot about those other things. But I can't forget about those other things. And so when I see Trish Stratus, I don't think of a woman who wrestled in the Attitude Era. I think of that stuff. And that's their fault. That's not my fault. Don't blame me. That's what they push. He was a part of a main event feud with Vince McMahon cheating on Linda, who was comatose at the time. Okay, they did that, not me. If you want me to name a woman from the Attitude Era where I would say, okay, she was a wrestler, even though she did do other things, the answer would be Lita. It would not be Trish Stratus. I'm sorry. I I apologize. So when you bring her in and you try to do a feud between her and Charlotte, who I admit I can't stand Charlotte, but I respect her wrestling ability. She has been a big star now for a couple of years. She can go in the ring. She's a part of this evolution, revolution that they always talk about. She is, no doubt about it. I don't know. I just, I can't take that match that seriously. Now, if it was Lita, I think I would think differently about it. But I can't get out of my mind. And and trust me, I know if you're listening, but Evan, what about... Uh, Lita and Edge and the live sex exhibition that they teased on Raw. I get it. They did do stuff like that even with her. But when she first came in, Lita, and maybe its first impression is always the impression you get, she was with Ese Rios, and she was jumping off the top rope, and she was doing all these crazy moves. Uh, With Trish, I still think of her, and again, it's not her fault. I admit that. It's WWE's fault. That's how they booked her. So when you talk about matches of one era versus another era, I just can't get that into it. And they have to put Charlotte over. I I know it's in Toronto and it's Trish Stratus and it may be your last match. I mean, it should be your last match. But Charlotte's one of the biggest stars. She's a 57-time women's champion now. I think that's what it's up to. It would not be a good look for Trish to beat her clean. You want to get someone else involved? You want to have someone involved that starts a new feud with Charlotte? I guess that's fine. Help Trish win. Maybe maybe you do bring Alita back. Maybe you bring back some of the old women from the Attitude Era uh, to help her win. That's fine. But the one thing that can't happen is Trish can't go over clean. And if I had to make a prediction, I think Charlotte's actually going to beat her. I think the WWE knows that. Uh, I think it'll get an immense amount of heat because of the fact that the event's in Toronto. So I think Charlotte should win. I think she will win. Let's get to, and this is in no particular order, but I'm going through all of the matches. Let's get to Goldberg, Dolph Ziggler. (laughs) I can't believe I just said Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler. What's funny about all of this is if you go back to the instant reaction podcast I did to the last pay-per-view, the assumption we had was The Undertaker was going to fight at SummerSlam. Remember? Because The Undertaker showed up. He defended Roman Reigns, and we saw him in that tag team match at the last pay-per-view. And so we figured, all right, The Undertaker's probably going to fight Drew McIntyre, and The Undertaker is doing everything he can to get the stench off of him from his match with Bill Goldberg. Well, there is no Undertaker. 
We've seen nothing from him, so he is not going to be on the card at SummerSlam. And maybe the sense is he got the stench off of him, and he did really do a good job in that tag team match last month. Now, let's get the stench off of Bill Goldberg. What was so awkward about this build is, and I've said this about Dolph Ziggler, I think Dolph is a tremendous performer. I really do. Has he been misused over the last decade? For the most part. I mean, nothing will ever match the electricity of him cashing in money in the bank raw after WrestleMania, what feels like many years ago for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, He had a good feud with John Cena. They had a main event match at, I think it was a TLC event. So Dolph's had his moments, but over the last five years, it's been awkward. He'll disappear. He'll come back. They'll give him this huge heel push just so he could lose. And that's basically been his story. And that's what they did recently with Kofi Kingston. And I loved his, it should have been me promos. They were very good. The problem is Dolph Ziggler never wins. And after a while, wins and losses matter. So they give you this angle involving The Miz and Shawn Michaels, we all know Shawn's not wrestling. I think Shawn, and he admitted it during one of the promos with, with Dolph, it was a mistake for him to get back in the ring a year ago in Saudi Arabia. But during the course of all this, Dolph kept taking zings at Bill Goldberg. And I honestly never thought that meant anything. I thought it was, we want you to be so heelish, Dolph, throw in some real comments, if you will. You know, Make fun of Goldberg because of that horrific match he had with The Undertaker. Make fun of him. But I, I didn't think it was going to lead to Goldberg fighting Dolph Ziggler. I figured, yeah, we are getting The Miz against Dolph Ziggler. Blah, who cares? Dolph's probably going to lose. He's going to disappear for seven months. He'll come back. He'll get another big heel push for two weeks, and then he'll disappear again. You started to read, and that's why the surprise wasn't fully there, because I did read, I'd say a week out, hey, Goldberg may wrestle. Goldberg may fight Ziggler. And so, and you could hear it with the crowd on Raw, there was a sense that this is where it was going, especially when The Miz says, you signed the contract to fight me on Raw and somebody else. The problem that they made is that even though we know Sean wasn't coming back, don't tease the crowd that it's going to be Shawn Michaels, which they did, because the crowd would rather see Shawn Michaels wrestle than Bill Goldberg. Now, Bill got a big, big pop, no doubt about it. He's over. People are trying to forget the match he had with Undertaker, or maybe they don't only blame him for it, or maybe because it happened in Saudi Arabia, it doesn't count. But I did think that was a small little mistake. Don't tease the crowd to get Shawn Michaels. They'd prefer Shawn Michaels. So we're going to get Goldberg against Dolph Ziggler. And as Goldberg comes out, big pop, you're next. I'm actually on board. I kind of like it. And I'll tell you why. Now, obviously, it's got to be booked the right way, the match. And I'll tell you exactly what I would do. Dolph Ziggler is a really good wrestler. He is a really good worker and probably one of the more underappreciated guys of the last 10 years. What I would tell Dolph, if I'm whoever's booking this match, I'd say, Dolph, make Goldberg look amazing. And that doesn't mean a squash. See, I think a squash would be a big mistake. I know that was Goldberg's thing back in WCW. We saw him do it to Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series a few years ago. We saw him do it to Kevin Owens. So the squash has always been his strong suit, but that's not what we need here. Because I don't think a squash really gets the stench off of him of that match with Taker. What you need, and I'm not asking for 20 minutes. Goldberg can't go 20 minutes. I get it. I'm not asking for 10 minutes. 10 minutes is too much. Seven minutes. 
Very similar to the match he had with Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. I think we all agreed, hey, that was a good match. Now, it's got to be a little different because that's power versus power. But I would tell Dolph, this is your moment. This is where you're going to prove you're one of the great wrestlers of the last 15 years. Get seven good minutes out of Goldberg. And yeah, Goldberg goes over at the end. All right. Yes, he does his spear. Yes, he does the jackknife. The, 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 is that what it's called? The jackknife? Whatever. I forgot already. <laughs> well, whatever. Do it all. But get seven good minutes out of him. I'm afraid they're going squash. I would not go squash. I don't think squash does anything. What the hell does a squash do? All it does is make Ziggler look bad and reinforce the idea of, yeah, that's all Bill Goldberg can do. So not asking for 15 minutes, but I think that Ziggler needs to put on a show that makes Goldberg look good, and I think he's capable of it. And I think after this, that should be it for Bill Goldberg. That should be it, because we saw this at Saudi Arabia. If you put the two legends who are in their 50s against each other, bad things are going to happen. If you put the legend against a relatively young performer, you'll get something good out of it. That's why The Undertaker looked so much better in that tag team match, because you had a performer like Dolph Ziggler out there. Uh, Dolph Ziggler. Uh, Drew McIntyre out there. I wouldn't say Shane as much. But Shane's a good heel, so you know, I'll give him that. So I, I would put together a good seven-minute match and then put Goldberg over, get the stench off of him, everybody moves on. AJ Styles is defending the United States Championship against Ricochet. Um, Look, I I think AJ's done his part here. He's gotten Ricochet over, not as a main eventer by any stretch, but Ricochet is over with the crowd. He's gotten a couple of wins. He's very exciting to watch. This, to me, should be the longest match of the night. It won't be, but it should be. They should let this be the blow-off match, give him 20 good minutes, And I do think AJ Styles has to win. He is the heel. Unless AJ is going for a bigger belt, and maybe maybe that's what he is doing, especially now as a heel. But unless he's going for the bigger belt, I would want AJ clean in a just classic 20-minute match with Ricochet. But I think we're going to get an idea of what their plans are for heel AJ based on this outcome. Because if Ricochet wins, I think that could be a good thing. I think it means... All right, AJ may get a crack at Seth Rollins or a crack at Kofi Kingston for one of the championships because AJ is a main eventer. I like him as a heel. I think his character needed to freshen it up. And I think he's been overall a better heel in WWE. We've seen him as both. We've seen him all over the place. And I think what's also been good is that he's getting those guys over. He's getting Luke Gallows over. He's getting that tag team to be relevant. It feels as if they've been irrelevant for almost two years. The name of their faction sucks. I'm sorry. OG. That's, it ain't great. But at least there's a heel faction. Factions are good. We don't get factions all that often. But what they do with them after this will be fascinating to watch. But this needs to be that workhorse match of the night. AJ Styles versus Ricochet. The next match bothers me, and that is Finn Balor against the Fiend, Bray Wyatt. And here's what bothers me. They have repackaged Bray. It took him a very long time. Bray had been off TV for for a while now after his angle with Matt Hardy. They give him this bizarre gimmick, a gimmick that's worked. People watch the videos. 
People watch this weird garbage, and we're fascinated about what they're going to do with Bray. He makes his debut, what was it, a month ago, with that freaky mask, and it was great. Uh, everything is good. Everything is good. My problem is who his first opponent is, and I have two issues with it. Number one, we've seen it before, okay? We've seen a Bray Wyatt-Finn Balor feud, and number two, I don't think we're in a, we're in a lose-lose situation here. At least I feel that way. Bray Wyatt needs to win his first match back at a pay-per-view. I think we'd all admit that. He's got a new angle. It's working. I think it's over with the crowd. It's different. It's vile. It's everything. So clearly, we would all agree, Bray Wyatt needs to win. The problem is, Finn Balor's going to lose again? Finn Balor, we're going to see Finn Balor, who's almost become a, a glorified jobber over the last few months, a guy who I think could be a megastar, a guy who could be a main eventer, and he has flirted with the main event. This is a guy who won the first Universal Championship. They made the man look unbelievable before he got hurt. And he's just going to lose to Bray Wyatt? And even if he wins and beats Bray Wyatt, which would be a surprise, that's a mistake too. So what I would have done, and I give Brian Monzo credit, obviously the famed producer of Mike's On, Mon said to me, I think it was the second time after Bray Wyatt had come back and attacked somebody, that he just needed to attack everybody, that it shouldn't lead to a feud with Finn Balor. And he was right. Like, and I know he's attacked everybody, but it's led to this. It's led to a match right out of the gate with a guy that he should not be fighting right out of the gate. I think they could have dragged it out even more. I think they could have avoided a match at SummerSlam. I think he could have continued to attack almost everybody with that bizarre mask. Who knows? Maybe even throw him into the title picture and interfere in that match. Why not? So you could have had him involved in SummerSlam without giving him a match. I just, I don't like the opponent. I think it's a lose-lose situation. I assume Bray is going to win, and I don't like that for Finn Balor. We've got the Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon. If Owens loses, he's forced to quit the WWE match. So... Here's the good news. The good news is this is a big moment for Kevin Owens as a face. That's great. Kevin Owens has been the Stone Cold Steve Austin character. He's been using the stunner. He's the anti-authority figure. They ran that bit where he's saying stuff that's true, and it sounds like it's a shoot, but it's really scripted. So I love what they've done with Kevin Owens, and I love the fact that this is likely to be the end of Shane McMahon. Likely. I think that that's where they're going here, that when they change the writers or who is running Raw and SmackDown, it seems as if one of the first things they knew they needed to do was ditch Shane McMahon. And I had mentioned a few months ago, I feared that Shane McMahon was going to win the championship, that that's what they were doing with him. Eventually, he was going to be the guy to dethrone Kofi Kingston. I have now confidence that that's not going to happen and that this match signifies the end of Shane McMahon. Again, my only critique on this is it felt as if the Owens-Shane McMahon thing came out of nowhere. It felt as if we never got closure with Roman Reigns losing to Shane McMahon back at Saudi Arabia. But, hey, if this is the way it's going to end for Shane and it's Kevin Owens who gets the push from beating him, I think that's great. What, what I think is going to be really something to watch is after Owens beats him, which I think he will and he should, and Shane disappears what happens to Kevin Owens? Kevin Owens has been a character 
who ever since he burst onto the scene, and I love the way he burst onto the scene, feuding with John Cena, throwing that musician off of the uh, the stage, that was great. <laughs> that was that was tremendous when he tried to shake his hand. Uh, they made him the universal champion. He had the great angle with Chris Jericho. He's kind of been a lost puppy dog. Again, not his fault. This is the writer's fault. So now they have him as a face. They have him as the guy who is going to eliminate Shane McMahon. Okay, what next? Does he get a main event push? Does he go back into the wilderness? Do they flip him back to a heel? Because why the hell not? What happens to Kevin Owens? But I think it's great that they're going to rid themselves. At least I think they're going to rid themselves of Shane McMahon. Yes, he is a good heel as far as getting the crowd to hate him, but he cannot be a performer as a pro wrestler. You know, you want to use him as an authority figure, as old and as played out as that is, I guess I could deal with it. What I have not enjoyed over the last how many months now is Shane McMahon, the wrestler. We've got Bailey against Ember Moon for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship. I, I don't know. You know. Bailey got the picker. Ember Moon's getting a shot at this. Uh, this feud means nothing to me. Who's going to win? I'm going to go with Bailey. I'll say she retains her SmackDown Women's Championship. See, the Becky Lynch natty thing has actually been compelling. Uh, it's a credit to Becky. It really is a credit to Becky that she has made Natalia a compelling character. Because think about it. Natalia's been around for a long time now. She's been around for a very long time. She's been on the reality show. She's, she's done it all. She dressed as a dominatrix with her husband, Tyson Kidd. She's done everything. And she is a good wrestler. I'll admit that. But she's just been there for a very long time. And Becky Lynch, who is the most talented mic and off mic and wrestler, women's wrestler that they have. I mean, she main evented a WrestleMania. Sure, it helped out that Ronda Rousey was there and Charlotte was there. But Becky, incredibly over with the crowd, she has made this feud compelling. Now, is there any way Natalia should win? No way. No way. Becky's got to beat her. Becky's got to vanquish her. And what I think is going to be key, and I don't know what the contract status is, but they got to get Ronda Rousey back because as the Becky Lynch character, which is still very good, but as it starts to wane down, as the crowd starts to get bored with her or turn on her, which can happen and has started to happen in a small ways, Ronda Rousey will spark it. They need her back and they need an excellent one-on-one multi-pay-per-view singles match between Becky and Ronda. Now, I don't know what's going on. I haven't Googled Ronda Rousey. I don't know if she's pregnant. I don't know what she's doing. And if she's not coming back, she's not coming back. Well, what can you do? But I think that would really add a lot to the Becky character. But I think this will be a good match. I think they need to stay away from constant submission holds because it is a submission match. And I think, uh, you know, Becky's going to win. I think Becky's going to win. So I'll go with both of the women defending. Now we got the two title matches. Let's get to it. We've got Kofi Kingston against Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. So they have tried, and they've done this a few times because they did this with Randy Orton, AJ Styles at WrestleMania, where they take Orton, who everybody's bored of, all right? Everybody's bored of Randy Orton, and they try to bring up the past to make it interesting. So what they did here with Kofi, who the hell remembers a Raw from 2009? Does anybody remember this? I met a guy at the Yankee Fan Fest. Very nice guy, police officer. He's probably listening right now. How are you, sir? And he said, man, I can't believe how you remember all this wrestling stuff. I said, thank you. It's like sports. You know, you remember the WrestleManias. 
But Mr. Officer, if you're listening right now, I got to admit to you, I have no recollection of Raws from 2009. I watched it, but I don't remember. I don't remember Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton doing anything on a Raw. But okay, they brought it up. <laughs> they made you think about it. And that's how they're trying to sell you on this WWE championship match. Uh, to me, there's no way Randy Orton can win. All right? There's no way you could put the WWE title on Randy Orton. What I think you'll get, though, is I think you'll get a good match. And maybe this one will be the longest match of the night. I mentioned AJ against Ricochet. Maybe they give Kofi and Randy Orton a chance to, to spread their wings, you know, give us 15 or 20 good minutes. And I think it will be a good match. I have no doubt about that. But Kofi's got to go over. They have kept the belt on Kofi since WrestleMania. And until I see someone viable that should take the title from him, I, I'm, I guess you got to ride the Kofi train. Why not? It's rare that you see a legitimate face champion. I know you got that with AJ Styles for a while. And, and maybe this angle is, or this, this bit with Kofi over the last five months is similar. That here is the face champion fighting a different opponent every month, beating that different opponent. The problem Kofi's had is none of the opponents are compelling. No, none of them feel like real threats to the WWE championship. And I don't think Randy Orton's a real threat either. Now, I appreciate them trying to bring up the history of it, the fact that these two guys have been in the company for a very long time, and now look where Kofi Kingston is. Randy Orton's been you know, kind of on that precipice of the main event for a long time. By the way, Randy Orton's been around forever. I mean, my God. And you know what I was thinking about the other day? I don't even know if I was thinking about this the other day. I think about this every once in a while. When I watch a Randy Orton or I watch a Kofi Kingston or a Dolph Ziggler, a guy that's been around for a decade, I think back to how short the stays actually were for the guys in the early 90s. Like, take the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. How long was his run in the WWE? It was half as long as a run of Dolph Ziggler. Now, I know Ted did a lot of great work before he got to the WWF, but his run there was not that long. Jake Roberts. Now, all these guys that now we look back on and say, oh, this guy was great. And they were great. But now we're seeing the runs last so much longer. So much longer. Look at Mr. Perfect. How long was Mr. Perfect before he got hurt and would disappear for months and months at a time? How long was he really wrestling for the WWF? And now you've got so many guys. Kofi Kingston. Randy Orton. Dolph Ziggler. Is Kane still around? Should we count him? The Big Show. I mean, guys that were around and have been around for so long. And I think what becomes the challenge with guys like that is how do you keep them interesting? And they have with Kofi because now he's a main eventer. They have not with Randy Orton. I'm sorry. But I think Kofi wins and he'll have a brand new feud in a month and a half. And I don't see where it ends for Kofi as WWE champion. Not yet. Not yet. And let me take time now, before we get deeper into Brock Seth, to make a point that I think everybody is thinking about this current product. And that is the idea that the brand extension means absolutely nothing. Hey, think about it. I'm talking about Kofi Kingston. Who's going to knock off Kofi? And I mentioned, well, maybe AJ Styles. Is AJ Styles even on SmackDown? I don't even know. I don't know who's on what show because of the wild card rule. And the problem with the wild card rule is, A, it was stupid, and B, they don't even mention it anymore. When you start, and they did this years ago, okay, the Raw Super Show, remember that garbage? 
once you start mixing the talent between the two shows, you don't have a brand extension. Now, you have a universal title, you have a WWE title. I think you can live with having two championships because they're not defined really by Raw and SmackDown. But you've got a Raw tag title, a SmackDown tag title, a Raw women's title, a SmackDown women's title. And I think that's very difficult to sustain when we have no knowledge of who's on what show. It's a free-for-all. And if you want to make it a free-for-all, then you probably should end the brand extension. But they're not going to do that. I know they got the big TV deal coming up, but none of us know who's on what show. I mean, Roman Reigns is on both shows all the time. Everybody's on both shows. There isn't even a wild card rule anymore. And and when Vince announced that, it, it really felt as if he was coming up with it as he was doing the promo. It didn't feel as if it was written at all. So the brand extension, the future of it, seems very murky right now. You do have the separate titles, but you don't have the separate rosters at all to the point where none of us know who's on what show. I don't think they're going to combine the two big titles. Now, I could see them combining the other titles and eventually saying, look, what are we going to do? Everybody's on the same roster. I don't know if they're going to combine the Universal and WWE title. And the reason why I don't think they're going to do it is I think they're in a very big problem if they ever want to do it. And my problem is this. The WWE Championship has the lineage. That's the belt that goes back to Bruno. That's the belt that goes back to Hulk Hogan. The problem is they haven't treated the WWE title like it is the main title. The Universal title's been the main title. And the Universal title is brand freaking new. And it's still awkward to even say Universal title. So if they ever merge the titles, what are they going to do? They're going to call it the universal title? They're going to eliminate the lineage of the WWE Championship? Are they going to call it the WWE World Universal Championship? <laughs> like they did the last time they merged the titles? So I don't think there's a good answer to it, which means I don't think it's ever going to happen. I don't think they're ever going to merge these two titles. And so we are going to live in a world in which everybody's on every show and there's two champions. Now let's get to the main event, as my point indicates the main event is the universal championship it always is or mostly is Brock Lesnar Seth Rollins it's the way I started this thing Seth has to win there will be no excuse zero excuse if Brock defends this title I'm going to do an instant reaction right after SummerSlam is over and if Brock Lesnar is still the universal championship I may throw things I get it it's wrestling calm down the Mets should matter more the Jets should matter more they do don't get me wrong all right, you want to make Brock Lesnar champion for the next five years, and that means my teams win, I'll sign for it. But under no circumstances can Brock defend this title. And don't give me this, but it was a surprise. Aren't you surprised? No. Because if Brock wins the title or regains the title, defends the title, where do they go from here? He's not going to be on every pay-per-view. He's going to disappear for five months, and look what you've done to Seth Rollins. And over the last few Raws leading up, see, I think the build has been fine for Seth Rollins, Brock Lesnar, and I think that's the build that's worked. They had their match at WrestleMania. Brock wins money in the bank. He had been flirting for a while on cashing in. He cashes in, and now Seth gets his ass kicked every single week. He's bleeding. He's a mess. He can't walk. He's the ultimate underdog. That's fine. And that has all the makings of Seth overcoming the odds and winning the Universal Championship. And I think if you do that, you did your job. 
You know what I mean? You did your job. Seth is champion like he was at WrestleMania. He beats Brock Lesnar twice. You got something out of Brock for the last three, four months, which was sort of compelling. You used the money in the bank in a different kind of way. And now Seth can continue his championship run. That's what they got to do. That's what they have to do. And I think all the indications are there that that's what they are going to do. They have made Brock Lesnar look super strong. They've made Seth Rollins look like he's got no shot. And he's got to overcome the odds. I'd be curious to see how long the match is. And if Seth wins, which at the end of the day, I think he will win, how he beats him. What they did at WrestleMania was sort of surprising because it was definitive. I mean, it was everything it needed to be. It was a definitive win for Seth Rollins. They can do that again. They can do that again. Or do they go with the, the, the bit, and I think this is how they're going to do it, where Brock kicks his ass for 10 minutes and is toying with him, kind of like what he did in a few other matches. Remember the match with Daniel Bryan at Survivor Series? Just dominates Bryan. All of a sudden, low blow Daniel's in the match. I think you may, this may be the way to do that. Now, I know I've always said you got to definitively beat Brock Lesnar, but he has. He's already done that. So maybe you do something different. I'll take you back to an old, old pay-per-view. You ready? Let's go all the way back to Survivor Series 1995. Now, how many people listening remember the main event of Survivor Series 1995? Or the title match. I don't even know if it was the main event. But the title match was the reigning champion, Diesel, against Bret the Hitman Hart. It was going to be the end of Diesel's long title run after one year. And I, I love this ending. That's why I'm bringing it up now. Diesel was, at the end, dominating Bret Hart. He was about to win. Bret could not get up. Diesel's trying to bring him up so he could do his finishing move, the jackknife power bomb, and Bret can't get up. And you see Diesel like, oh, you know, Bret can't get up. All right, whatever. I kind of feel bad. And out of nowhere, Bret Hart's small package, one, two, three, win, leads to a Diesel heel turn. Bret becomes champion. Maybe you pull that out where Brock's just beating the crap out of him, and out of nowhere, Seth steals a victory. Now, the only problem with that is you would think that would lead to another match. And I think this feud should just end. They've already fought at WrestleMania. So I don't know if that's the best way to go. You want to go with definitive result the way we did WrestleMania? Either way, Seth Rollins needs to win the Universal Championship. Right after the pay-per-view is over, I will do an instant reaction podcast to it. You can hear Taz, too. He's going to be on our radio station. He does a great job with recapping all the major pay-per-views. But I'll have an instant reaction podcast right after SummerSlam is over. Next week, I'm excited about this. There was a caller to, I think it was my Saturday show. And he called up and he said, Evan, you know, blah, 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 the podcast, it's okay. I like your podcast. I have a, a suggestion for one of the podcasts. I said, sure. What do you got? What do you want to hear? And he said, how about a mailbag? You know, a lot of people do that. You know, just answer people's questions. And that man's name was Scott in Jamesburg. So, Scott, coming up on Wednesday, August 14th, it will be the Scott in Jamesburg Presents Mailbag. And I'll answer whatever the hell you want to talk about. Sports, non-sports, I don't give a damn. That'll be dropping on August 14th. The week after that, the very highly anticipated fantasy football preview featuring my special co-host, Steve and Howard Beach. We also have the NFL Prediction Podcast coming up right before the start of the NFL season. And as you know, at any moment, 
I may have an instant reaction to some kind of Met win, loss, Yankee game, whatever. I've done a few of those recently because the Mets have been hot. But this has been the SummerSlam preview. Again, the instant reaction right after SummerSlam is over. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.